Well, it's good to see you all today, and I'm glad to be in the service one more time, as the old folks used to say, as the old saints used to say, rather. It's, um, it's a pleasure to be here, to honor and be behind this second desk, and to give God the glory through the preached word. Uh, today, it's going to be a, a special sermon. Uh, actually, going to be the first time I actually got to pick my own text. So this is a, this is a momentous occasion for me. Uh, so, actually, so yeah, so I, I'm I'm ready to dip, dive in and share with you what I feel like the Lord has been giving me uh, for the better part of my life, and I hope that this message blesses you in a way that it has blessed me. All right, I'm going to go to uh, Jeremiah, the first chapter in the fifth verse. Uh, we're going to start at uh, verse uh, 4. So give me one moment. going to pull this up. Reading from the NIV version. NIV, rather. Um, it's going to say, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. For this time that is ours, I want to talk about the logical call. We're going to talk about the logical call. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for yet another moment to meet before you and to stand in your presence and to be with you. Bless those who are about to hear this word. Touch my mouth, anoint my mind, saturate my heart in your grace that I may speak the words that you want to speak to your children. This we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for this spiritual food we are about to receive. Let it be nourishment for our souls and our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. So in a particular philosophy class, it was time for the final exam. The professor came, greeted his students, and said to them, this final exam is an essay format. I will write my question on the board and you have two hours to write your responses and turn it in. He walks out and he writes a one, well, before he walks out, he writes one word on the board and then he walks out. Students begin. Some spend 30 minutes writing, others spend an hour. Still others write until the final exam is over and turn in what they have. But three students, two who was registered, one who was auditing the class, uh, took less than 15 minutes to scribble down their answers and walked out. The next class, the professor goes over the essay responses. Now, right now, he is hot, heated, visibly frustrated. He he scolds and berates the students for writing as many as so many as nine pages on one word question. The one word question was, and I repeat, why? He wrote why on the board. He said he only handed out one A and two Bs. The A went to the guy who was auditing the class. And for the A student, his response for the question was, why not? For the two B students, one responded, just because, and the other, because I'm hungry. Then he asked the guy who got the A, the guy that's not even a registered student, he's the one the guy is just auditing the class because he liked one of the students in the class. And he went asked him to share his with the failing students why he answered why not on the final exam. 
He said, Professor, when you ask why, without sharing a frame of reference, without providing any additional context to properly answer the question, why not, is the best, most logical response. Now, I'm not sure how I would have fared on that final exam, whether I would have been smart enough to answer why not, or just because, or been so sleep and food deprived to answer because I'm hungry, or been so over analytical to answer a one-way question with a nine-page response. I'd probably be more keen to have more nine points on why than nine pages. But I'm sure of this one thing, that when God has placed a call on your life and you ask God, why me, without sharing the same frame of reference, the same context that only God has access to to call you, the best, most logical answer you can get from that exchange, not having access to the omniscience and his sovereignty is, why not you? There is no adequate explanation that an infinite God can give for himself that a finite mind can fully contain. Right. Let me say that again. There is no adequate explanation that an infinite God can give for himself that a finite mind can fully contain. Somebody should ask Job about that. We're not working with the same frame of reference. You refer to your life in the frame of the here and now, your current struggles, your current unworthiness, your current excuses. And God, who is eternal, who has seen the end from the beginning, not excluding yours. Two frames of reference. In the time it would take for him to try to explain why he called you, you could have answered and lived out your call. In fact, your deliverance is the best explanation an infinite God can give to you. Some people have spent their entire lives asking God why and waiting until they got an answer before they responded to the call. They didn't get that they would have been closer to an answer had they responded and not resisted. They didn't get that life, as one wise preacher says, is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. They didn't get that the word of God says that the just shall live by faith, not answers, faith. So here's my aim today, to get you to trust God more than any answer he could give you. Because the word says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Which means that if you knew the answers to the questions you ask in life, instead of trusting the God who loves you, you'd get in the way of the love of God that's trying to edify you and build you in the call that he's placed on your life. And so now I, this is why I label this message, the logical call. Not because at the end of this message, your call is going to make sense to you, mm -hmm. but maybe in this exchange, we might get a glimpse of why calling you made sense to God. Now, in this text that I just read in your hearing, God is calling Jeremiah to the prophetic ministry to declare what thus said the Lord concerning the incoming judgment on the kingdom of Judah. They have been cutting up in a major fashion, and God is now taking all that he could stand. Mm -hmm. It's judgment time. Mm -hmm. he, so he calls Jeremiah for this, what would turn out to be the most unpopular job at the time, prophesying that this nation would be carried off to exile by the Babylonians yeah, and the Jerusalem temple destroyed. Let me pause parenthetically and ask, has God ever made you do something unpopular? 
especially at a time where there seems to be more peace with just going with the flow? Has he made you make a stance? Such was Jeremiah's case. God calls him to declare an unpopular message, to make one last stand for God in the hopes that God's God's children, God's chosen people, would truly repent and his judgment subside. But as God calls Jeremiah in particular, I believe there are three universal truths, three eternal principles that I think you'd like to know so you can see where it may make sense for someone like God to call someone like you. Would you mind if I share? Uh, Awesome. I was going to do it anyway, but I figured that'd be nice to ask. The first principle is that God is the authority on you. An authority is someone with extensive or specialized knowledge about a subject. In other words, an expert, a specialist, a guru, a virtuoso, a master. Oprah Winfrey is is an authority on media. Nikki Giovanni is an authority on poetry. Corey Henry is an authority on the Hammond organ. Neil deGrasse Tyson is an authority on astrophysics. Cornell West is an authority on philosophy. Notable preachers like uh, Ralph Douglas West, uh, yours truly, I'm just kidding, Pastor Hubbard, (laughs) and others are authorities on preaching. (laughs) Any of these people are worth sitting at their feet and learning what they have to say about their particular craft. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to you, when it comes to figuring out your life, I wouldn't recommend you sit in any of their feet to hear anything they have to say. God is the authority, the expert, the specialist, the guru, the virtuoso, the master on you. And when it comes to calling you to a particular work for him, God is superlatively more than qualified to answer the call, to make the call. Two ways God lets Jeremiah know that he's the authority on him. First, let's look at his claim. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, no one has more right to speak on the invention than the inventor. No one has more right to answer on the design than the designer. No one has more right to shed light on the creation than the creator. God has exclusive claim to you because he invented, designed, and created you. God says, before I formed you in the womb, God is your source and your sustainer. Yes, your father provided the seed. Yes, your mother provided the soil. But it was God that supplied the spirit. Ecclesiastes 12 chapter and the seventh verse says that the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience, which means your origin can't be found on your birth certificate. It is only found in God. And since the origin is in God, it also means that his prescription, his prescription, his opinion for the direction of your life is the only one that matters. Mm-hmm. Now, it's good to seek wise counsel, and it's smart to consider the warnings and encouragements of others, especially those who have traveled through life before you. But if it directly conflicts or contradicts with where God is leading you, then if it is not providing food for thought so as to add wisdom to walking out his call on your life, toss it aside. 
This is why it is of chief importance to develop a solid relationship with God where you're in daily prayer, where you are in his word, communing and communicating with him to recognize his voice so you won't be led astray by what other people think or what you think you should do with your life. Yeah. That way, whatever you hear on the outside may be melted by the filter you have developed on the inside. Mm -hmm. And what is that filter? The, the filter of God's word, the filter of his fellowship with you, the filter of your sense of his call on your life. That's the filter. And nobody can do that work for you. And sometimes following that call will, will cause you to make some hard and near impossible decisions. Jeremiah. Consider Jeremiah, a Levite, a son of a priest. He's been raised up, being taught and embedded in him the importance of the temple of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Yet God calls him, this Levite, this son of a priest, to prophesy the destruction of Jerusalem, specifically the temple. Jeremiah had to prophesy the destruction of where his daddy worked. Mm. Now, ain't that some interesting dinner conversation? As a matter of fact, his own hometown said, if you don't shut up prophesying, if you don't shut up preaching destruction, we'll kill you. Following God's call on your life will not be easy. I wish I could tell you there won't be some hard days ahead. I wish I could tell you there won't be some disappointment. I wish I could tell you there won't be some misunderstandings. I wish I could tell you there won't be some sleepless nights, some moments of alienation and isolation. But I can tell you that until you submit to his claim on your life as your as his creator to call you, there will be no inner peace. Mm -hmm. No clear sense of order or direction about your life. Yes, you will be running from one distraction to another to keep your mind from what you know God wants you to do. Either way, you suffer, whether it's God's will or outsider's will. For me, I'd rather have God-ordained suffering than self-inflicted. Because I know that if I have to suffer in God's hands, he's going to work it to where he gets the glory and I get the victory. God has to claim. He has the exclusive, undisputed right to be the authority on you because he created you. Yes, sir. The Bible says he knows your end from the beginning. But not only does he have the claim... He has the capability. God tells Jeremiah, I knew you. That word knew is the same word that is used as a euphemism to describe a husband and wife enjoying the physical benefits of the marital covenant. It's for, it's for the kids in the room that you, you're welcome. But in this house, but in this sense, it is used to express that God has intimate and intricate knowledge of you which makes him capable to be the authority on you to call you. God knows you better than you know yourself. Luke 12, chapter the seventh verse says that he's numbered the hairs on your head. Think about that. That's not just he knows how many hairs on your head. That, that would be the standard omniscience of God. But that would be what we'd expect God to know. But God didn't stop there. God is so committed to knowing and loving his creation that he assigned each individual strand a number. Which means that when you comb or when you brush your hair, he knows what number strand stayed, he knows what number strand left, and which ones are not coming back. Think about that. Your mama don't even know you like that. And she ain't no human love like a mother's love. 
Your spouse doesn't know that. And your hair may be one of the things they really love about you or the lack of it, whichever one. God really cares. He really cares about the details of your life. Turn to your neighbor, turn to yourself, or just say it to yourself that God is in the details. And if he cares about you to number your hair follicles, how do you think it's possible for him to know that when he called you, he called the right person? The Harvard, the Harvard Business Review states that it takes about 10 years of steady practice and study to be considered an expert and authority in a field. And according to Jeremiah, God had at least an eternity past with you. And last I checked, infinity is, is greater than 10. God knows all of you. The good, the bad, what you consider yourself to be bad that he deems useful, what you considered about great about you that he doesn't deem to be all that great. Come on, man. He knows it all. Your past failures, your present struggles, your pure heart, yeah. your lack of knowledge, what you did last week, what you did last night, mm -hmm. your age, your generation. He knows all of that about you and more, yet he's placed on you this burden to do something great for him. That's no accident. Right. Our God is an intentional God, yes, and he intentionally interrupted your life to use it for his cause, because he is the authority on you. Amen. And to further exercise his claim and capability to be the authority on you, God has also anointed you. God says to Jeremiah, before you were born, I set you apart. Now, I've been living with a, another human being for quite a, an extensive period of time. We're about to make two years uh, uh, in October. And uh, she, they, they call her Christian. I call her my wife, my boo thing. And, uh, and I got to, and when you're in close quarters with somebody, you notice somebody's patterns. And you get to pick up on things that, that you'd rather not know. But in this case, in the shower, I have one soap. <laughs> and I use that soap from head to toe. Pretty simple. My wife, on the other hand, she has two soaps. One for the body and one for the face. The body soap can be used anywhere, including the face, but not the facial soap. That facial soap is observed to clean one area, the face. Can it be used on... In other areas of the body, yeah. sure, it's a soap. It'll get the job done, but I wouldn't recommend it. There is something special about this soap's composition yeah. from its conception and creation that it's set to the part for being used just like any other soap. Wow. It has been designed from the beginning for it to get the best results for its work when only applied to the face. Mm -hmm. I think you know that I'm not talking about soap. You have been reserved for the purposes of one, God himself. Could you pursue your dreams or other dreams, people's dreams for you? Sure, but I wouldn't recommend it. You have been designed from the beginning to get the best results for your pursuit when you pursue the purpose and plan of God for your life. And just like the facial soap is not for everywhere, you are not for everybody, not even yourself. God has anointed you. He has consecrated you for his service. God has, as the verse suggests, pronounced you clean, holy, and devoted you to him.
Think about that. God has declared you clean before you ever got yourself dirty. Right, right. He has pronounced you holy before you ever got in mess. Come on, so in this moment, when he finds you in the muds and ditches of life, he can pick you up and restore you to your yes, original sir. state. Because God knows what you were supposed to look like before you were, because you were declared clean before you ever entered this earth. That's it. Charles Spurgeon, affectionately known as the Prince of Preachers, say, states that if God hadn't chosen me before the foundation of the world, he wouldn't choose me now. Thank God he chose me and he cleaned me before I ever got a chance to show him why he shouldn't. God has anointed you. He has consecrated you has set you apart for his use which means that you stick out like a sore thumb around people in your generation in your job at your school you view and experience the world differently when everyone else around you succumb to the trappings of life somehow in that same environment you survived you were able to escape life continuously dealt you the bad hand but right now somehow you're winning at birth you weren't supposed to make it but somehow 10, 20, Somewhere 30, man. 40, 50, 60, yeah. 70 years later, you're here today. Even in 2020, you're still standing. You know you weren't supposed to be here when you were when you were where you were that night. But somehow when trouble came, it overlooked you. Yes, sir. Why? Because God has anointed you. He has chosen you. And as a consequence, he is protecting his, his investment. Yes, sir. I never really understood the, the magnitude of God's investment in me, but I got a glimpse of it on a spring day in San Antonio in 2004, end of March, and it forever changed my life. It had been three months after I had preached my first sermon, and during those three months, I had a lot on my mind every day. Doubts about my adequacy for ministry, anxiety, and overwhelm over my overall unworthiness for God's service. And the constant pressure I put on myself for being the perfect Christian teenager, mm-hmm. let alone a preacher. Yeah. I would be I would be so deep in thought, uh, Hubbard, that I would that you could call my name seven to eight times and I wouldn't even answer until the ninth time. But on this particular day in March 2004, I was in San Antonio for a state competition for business professionals of America in high school. And while waiting on my turn, the thoughts got to be too much. And at that moment, I heard a voice say, kill yourself. At that moment, I dropped whatever I had in my hands, got up, walked directly to the nearest smiling white lady uh, that I could see and said, I'm sorry. I don't mean to disturb you, but I don't know what's going on. And if I don't get any help, I just might kill myself. And I closed my eyes, lifted my face towards heaven, and with tears streaming down my face, called on the name of the Lord. My Lord. Over and over again, I, I called him because he's all I knew to call on. Yeah. I didn't know at the time, but this woman's, I didn't know at the time that this woman was saved or not. I didn't know at the time she knew the Lord for herself, but somehow I heard a voice say, you calling on the right name, honey. Hmm. I opened my eyes, and I, through my tears, I see other women, Christian women, came and gathered around me, praying and encouraging me. And it was at that moment that I felt hope. After I calmed down, I was taking a talk with a lady who had just lost her son to suicide while he was in college. Her story encouraged me 
to stay on this earth. It's, it's 2020 now. And every now and again, when I find myself wondering and worrying too much about life, when I find myself going into a spiral thinking that I'm not ever going to be used extraordinarily by God, I think back to that day when he moved heaven and earth to tell me that he's chosen me for something special, yeah. that he has great plans for me. Is there anybody here that you that can testify that you have at least one moment in your life where God has preserved you and shown you that you're valuable to him, that he has invested a lot into you, that he has great plans for you? God is the authority on you. He has the claim and the capability to be so. He has anointed you, consecrated you, set you apart for his service and shown you that he has invested a lot into you. But that's not all. Finally, he has an assignment for you. God didn't anoint you for nothing. Mm -hmm. You were not set apart to be on a shelf. You are more valuable to him than a trophy, more important to him than a couch that you can't sit on. And everybody has that one couch uh, growing up in grandma's house, mm -hmm. that couch that you couldn't sit on with the plastic over it, and you just had to sit there and look at it yeah. <laughs> in the living room that no one enjoyed. You're more important than that. He wants to use you. And if he had handpicked you, he has gone through all the trouble of choosing you and setting you apart before you had a say in the matter. He wants to use you. He has something for you to do, an assignment, a task, an appointment, a vocation, a calling. And more often than not, that assignment is bigger than whatever you think you can do in your current capacity. God tells you what he wants you to do. And all the while you think that all sounds wonderful, but how, how will I be a philanthropist and give money to build schools in developing countries while I'm saddled with my own student loan debt? How can I be a master communicator when I have a speech impediment? How can I be a published author when every time I try to read the book, the book ends up reading me? How can I be a teacher when I graduated not summa cum laude, not magna cum laude, but thank you louder? It's hard seeing the road from where you are to where he says you're going to be. And even though it's hard to be to see the road, even though it's difficult to perceive the path, God gave us three assurances that he when he gives Jeremiah his assignment. First, God assures his provision because he gave us a divine assignment. He says, I appointed you. God divinely and directly assigned Jeremiah. Be careful of accepting or putting your hand to assignments God has not given you, be out of ambition or obligation. Because the further you are away from his purpose, the further you are away from his provision. So many of us has been burnt out on church, burned out on our jobs, and possibly our lives because not all of our activities were God's assignments. They may have been good deeds, but they were not God indeed. You may have been, you may have made mental emotional, spiritual, physical, and financial investments and saw little return because the task you undertook was without the assurance of God's provision. We depleted our resources simply because we did not adequately discern where God was. Now, I worked in aviation for a couple years, and I know I'm currently furloughed. Y'all keep me lifting. God has been good to me. But uh, but when it, I've learned a couple of things about aviation, that when it comes to planning a flight for fuel, 
you have to plan for the amount of fuel it takes to get you to your destination. The amount it takes to get to an alternate destination in case you didn't land at your intended destination and at least 45 minutes in reserves in case anything happens that you deplete the first two. The reserves are pretty much never touched because if you follow the flight plan, you'll get there with enough fuel left over and not the plane in jeopardy. If you follow the carefully crafted and prepared flight plan, God has carefully crafted and prepared a plan for you. And he knows just how much he has provided for you to do the job, how much you need for any deviation from the plan, and how much in reserve, which is your soul, which is never touched. Why is your reserve, your soul, never touched? Because God said to Satan concerning Job, mm -hmm. you could take Job's family, you could take Job's wealth, you could take Job's relationships, you could even take his health, but whatever you do, I give you no permission to touch his soul. There are times you'll get to where God wants you to life in no, with no problems. And there are times where you may have to take a detour and use up the alternate. But at no point in God's assignment for your life will he ever allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your imagination, your intellect to be lost. That's good news, people. But it's only good news if you follow the carefully crafted and prepared flight plan, the God plan for your life. No matter how over the top, how fearful, how impossible the assignment is, if God gave it to you, you can be sure that he has already provided. Yes, if he provided a ram in the bush so Abraham would not have to sacrifice his promised son Isaac. If he provided a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night for the Israelites on their exodus for Egypt. Mm -hmm. If he provided food for Elijah through ravens, birds that are known for taking food on the Kerith ravine. Mm -hmm. If he provided an angel for Jesus to strengthen him in the garden before he went on Calvary's hill. If he provided Jesus as a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for our sins so we can have access to him in spite of our messed up selves, I'm just crazy enough to believe that he will provide whatever I need to accomplish the divine assignment he has for me and for you. Yes, now, I am assured of God's provision because it is a divine assignment. But watch this. I am also assured of his presence because it is a distinct assignment. God tells Jeremiah, I appointed you as a prophet. Mm -hmm. God assigns Jeremiah the prophetic mantle. Jeremiah, the Levite. Jeremiah, the son of a priest in a town with nothing but priests. Jeremiah, who's in line to be a priest like his father. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah, God calls Jeremiah and gives him a distinct assignment. That's unlike anything he's ever seen modeled before him. Hmm. Jeremiah may have had a, an idea of what it takes to be a priest looking at his daddy. It could be safely assumed that he was being raised from birth with his expectation of taking on this responsibility. Hmm. He didn't go to the school of the prophets. He wasn't the son of a prophet. Right. The whole prophet thing is totally out of left field. It's not even on his radar. Have you ever felt that God was calling you to something that was completely not on your radar. Yeah. It's not even something people know you for. God called you to be a worship leader and you're and you a baritone. God called you to be a teacher of God's word and you've had no access to any kind of higher education. You have an app idea. You can't even successfully log off from the computer at your job every day. Mm. And you're like, how am I supposed to lead your people into worship 
and all the songs on the radio are out of my range. How am I supposed to teach your people? And I'm still putting Daniel in the Red Sea and Moses in the lion's den. How am I going to design this app? You even start questioning God's sovereignty like you could have gave me a greater vocal range. You could have put me in a family where I could have at least gone to vacation Bible school. Wow. I wish you would have given me this app out there when I was deciding on the liberal arts degree. Could have changed my major. Yeah. But there you go again. Reasoning God's will for your life right. from your frame of reference. Instead, you must rest in God's assurance that when he spoke to Joshua, these five words when he succeeded, when he succeeded Moses, he said, I will be with you yes, and then he adds as i have been with moses so i will be with you mm-hmm. god has not changed whatever uncharted territory you feel god is calling you he will be with you yeah. jesus says jesus christ says lo i will be with you yes, even to the end of the age these are some blessed assurances are they not We have God's provision because it is a divine assignment. We also have God's presence because it is a distinct assignment. But lastly, we have God's power because it is a demanding assignment. Not only did God call Jeremiah to be a prophet, he calls to be a prophet to the nations. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to preach in Jerusalem. It's it's one thing to preach in Anantar to your mama and them. It's, it's, It's one thing to be a local preacher on the street corner. But God gave Jeremiah the nations as his target audience. No wonder Jeremiah hesitated. Not only are you calling me to prophesy, you're calling me to prophesy I have never seen and never will see when all I know are the fields of Anatoth. What God has assigned you to can be overwhelming. It'll cause you to look at it and say, I don't have what it takes. I'm not ready. There's people better qualified. Because anyone who's truly called to do anything for God knows the assignment gives the, the sorry anybody anything that's called by any. Let me repeat this: because anyone who's truly called by God to do anything for Him knows that the assignment that God gives you will demand your own. There is no half stepping, and to excuse you from the assignment seems like a better option than to put your hand to the plow and fail. I know I've been there. And that would be a legitimate concern. It would be an honest assessment. It would be an an honorable gesture to bow out from the assignment if you were factoring in your your strength, your power to do what God is calling you to do. I've heard the saying, God won't put anything on you more than you can bear. And while I could possibly understand the sentiment, if God puts no more on me than I can bear, then at what point do I experience his power? Right. If I'm confident in the load that I have, on, why man. would I cry out to him? Exactly. What need do I have of God if the assignment he's given me to carry out, I can do it in my own strength? Sometimes God will give you something impossible, not for you to figure out how to get it done, mm-hmm. but for you to realize that all you need is to do is to turn around and say, Lord, you do it. Yes, sir. And that's all I came to share with you today. That when you realize the demand on your life from God, that you will not turn away from the call, Mm -hmm. that you will not try to figure out how to get it done, but that that you would make yourself available to the Lord 
and watch him do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that works in you. There will be some full days. There will be some sleepless nights. There will be some times where your patience is tested to the absolute limit. There will be times where you feel awkward and inadequate. But if you face God's demanding assignment with an attitude of surrender, you will see him work miracles where there are just no explanation. You will see him make ways in the wilderness and streams in the desert. If you accept that he is the authority on you, if you believe that he has anointed you, if you but do the assignment that he has for you, for God created you in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. In 1947, there was a woman that claimed to have had the visions of Jesus calling her to live with and help the poor for the rest of her life. She almost didn't respond, but she but he kept asking her, will you refuse to do this for me? Will you refuse to do this for me? Mother Teresa accepted the call in 1948 and the world has never been the same since. For someone here today. God is saying, will you refuse to do this for me? Mm -hmm. Now that you know that I am the authority on you, now that you know that I have the claim and the capability to call you, now that you know that I have anointed you and set you apart for my service, now that you know that in in my assignment for you, you have been assured of my provision, my presence, and my power, will you refuse to call? Do not run any longer. Answer the call today. Amen. 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 And amen. Amen. God, we want to thank you for this day. Thank you for this message. I pray, God, that it touched those souls and those hearts that have been on the fence about serving what they know they need to be doing for you. I pray, God, that this will touch them and answer and qualm and quell any um, disruptions or any disturbances that they may feel in their spirit about trusting you, God. I pray, God, that you would, this message will reap a harvest for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.